Okay, so um, welcome to today's uh, MediaWorks Masterclass, um, the title of which is Unlocking the Secrets of Effective Lead Gen Strategies. And uh, I'm Paul Mallett, so I'm Managing Partner at MediaWorks. Um, and joining me today, I've got Becca Tragett, Head of Strategic Planning. Hi, Becca. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good noon. Good morning. Good noon. Um, <laughs> Amy Coburn. Pay Search and Shopping Consultant. Hi, Amy. Hello. I'm Rachel McGuigan, Head of Data and Insights. Hi, Rach. Hi, everyone. Okay, so um, lead gen strategies. So we often at MediaWorks um, talk about the different kinds of marketing strategies that we um, kind of deliver for our clients and, and even for ourselves, ourselves in this case. So, um, and, you know, I think, think we'll often do masterclasses and we'll talk about kind of you know paid search strategies or whatever and um <clears throat> sometimes uh, you know that can that can vary quite a bit when we're talking about the difference between a, a direct to consumer e-commerce business where everything can be measured directly to a sale and you build a marketing model around that we'll often talk about the world of kind of fmcg brands and you know where the sale is made through a retailer and the role of marketing is um you know a, a, a lot different can be more top of funnel mid funnel and then we have the world of lead gen businesses of which there are many um where the purpose is to generate a lead um, through through to our client and then the client's um, kind of sales team can can swing into action and and hopefully convert that lead into a, a sale um, and I think it, it's quite interesting that we do quite a bit of this within B2B but we also do a lot within B2C and you know we're all, we're all very familiar with the the B2C companies that, that um, rely on lead generation you know we're talking about the angry windows of the world and safe style and uh, Hillary's blinds and all these kinds of things where you know the, the the leads going into the business are the absolute lifeblood and then the ability to convert them to a sale is critical um and you know quite interestingly how some of that has become a bit more virtual um in in, in recent years you know driven by the by the pandemic but um but you know but it's it still remains the fact that you know that they are they are lead gen businesses and obviously a lot of b2b um companies rely on a lead gen model and you know it's how media works how we get our business as well and um um to get a bit meta on you you know our master classes are part of that whole funnel that we set up so um welcome to all our attendees um and um you know, we'll we'll try not to do too hard a sell on you after the meeting, but you know, yeah. it might turn into a lead. You never know. So, um, as with as with all of our um, masterclass sessions, we've done a bit of a, a structure that we're going to kind of walk through. And I think just to kind of start off with, I'm going to hand over to Becca just mm. to talk about um, you know understanding the whole category of, of lead gen. So over to you, Becca, to start off with. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing, um, like you say, Paul, is really to understand the context in which you're running activity in. Um, you, you know, important to look at what you're doing, but really important to look at, you know, what competitors are doing, what peers doing, um, and then we'll come on to talk a little bit about the audience. So I think, first of all, what's really important is to really understand, you know, how much your um, competitors are spending. And this can be super, super tricky to do, um, you know, but in the good old days, you'd be able to pull off Nielsen reports and it would tell you, you know, roughly how much TV spend people had or, you know, how much they were spending on out of home. But, um, you know, digital has made that very less visible. Um, so it is a lot of kind of guesstimation, but that's really, really important as your first kind of, um, I guess, action to look at because you need to be kind of competing with your competitors. And, you know, when we talk about overall, you know, marketing strategy, we'll look at share of voice and, um, you know, measuring excess share of voice. And that's no different when we have a look at B2B brands as well. It's still very much applicable. You need to be, you know, keeping up with the spend of your competitors or outspending your competitors. So I'd say that's the first thing really what you need to be looking at but then also kind of wider um, market research as well so understanding you know what trends are going on in the market um, you know Paul mentioned there that a lot of businesses might have become a lot more digital um, since COVID so you know thinking about that understanding um, you know the growth rate of the market the mar um, you know that kind of sizing of the market 
Um, understanding um, customer behaviour as well. How are your audiences engaging with the market? It might be that one day, you know, five, ten years ago, it was all led by conferences and events. And, um, you know, it would be about a salesperson coming to your office. But a lot more now we're seeing it's um, that kind of virtual, um, more of a virtual world where a lot of things will be happening like this on Teams and through webinars rather than going to specific conferences. So it's really important to understand the context of that and what's happening um, in the category there and those kind of trends. But then I think, like I mentioned, going back to that kind of competitor as well, really studying your competitors to understand, you know, what their strengths are, what their weak weaknesses are, understand what their strategies are and then that can give you some help in uh, you know understanding what your place in the market is um you know how can you differentiate what you're offering how can you um learn from what they're doing but then also potentially fill in those gaps as well of what they're not doing yeah um We'd also be looking at social listening um, as well. And social listening is a bit of a funny one, especially when we look at B2B. Um, You know, it's still really useful, but it's about really thinking about where those conversations are happening. So, you know, it's not necessarily going to be Instagram, but for more B2B brands, it might be things like forums or LinkedIn forums or, um, you know, even Twitter. So it's really about kind of applying that lens to go, you know, where do we know some of these conversations are happening? And then looking there to try and get our insight rather than just you know putting some keywords into a tool and go all right well they're not talking on instagram or tiktok therefore there's no conversation um and it might be that you have to do things like um you know access certain groups on linkedin um you know they're you know that are kind of um, approved by other professionals so it can be a little bit trickier than that kind of consumer facing um social listening but it's definitely something you can learn a lot from once you kind of get in there and are active um, and then finally, um, I would say as well, what's really important is talking to your kind of um, customers and understanding from them what their kind of needs are, what their pain points are, um, what their kind of preferences are, you know, talking to them about their experience of the category and the kind of sales journey and really applying that to what we, you know, what you're doing and what your plans are. So I'd say that would be kind of like first off understanding that category. Yeah, and I think um, you know some of the some of the clients that I work on, uh, you know, we're kind of doing um, you know weekly reporting into what competitors are doing, looking at the you know kind of fluctuations in the market using things like Google Trends, but also just by you know being being smart about how you're using your if you're doing paid search um you know look at look at the competitor activity who you who are you losing share to um will give you a, a very good indication of um who who you're up against and whether you're likely to get outspent um i think you know there's there's lots of different things nowadays within the kind of you know within google that you can look at the the kind of ad transparency and look at the number of ads that your competitors are, are, are running at any given time. And all of a sudden, you can see that someone's swung into action and got a load more campaigns. I think within the B2C side, it's often offer-led. Um, and you can see that people kind of, again, piling in with a new offer to kind of attract everyone's attention. Um, and, and, you know, I think I think for, for certainly on the B2C side, um, there's there's no substitute for being all over that and to 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 have the ability to be to be very reactive, um, but you know and also you know the same applies if you're looking across Meta and being able to see the the different activity that people are running. So I think I think that that kind of keeping on the pulse of exactly what's going on in the category, but also with your direct competitors is really important. And, um, you know, it, it, even if your data is looking good, you know, you don't rest on your laurels because yeah. the, the category could be doing something that you're, you're, you're not aware of. So no, no, no substitute for, um, for, 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 for doing the research um, around the category. Um, so, um, I guess um, the, the the next bit that um, we wanted to talk about was then, um, but you know, gaining a deeper understanding of your audience. Over to, back over to you, Becca. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess we kind of touched on that a little bit in the um, category um, element of research. But I think, you know, 
one of the things we're really keen on and passionate about is understanding as much about your audience as you possibly can um, and using lots of different data sources for that. So I think, you know, one of the great ones that we've got is a tool called Global Web Index, um, which is a kind of panel tool, which basically goes out to survey. I think it's got, I can't even remember, I think it's got something ridiculous like, you know, 40,000 different data points um, in there that we can kind of build audiences in and understand more about their attitudes, motivations, even, you know, who they are, where do they live, um, what kind of channels they're using. And so that's a really, really useful tool from a kind of consumer point of view, because that can like build us out loads. We also use um, something called GWI Work, so Global Web Index Work, which is their very much B2B focus of that. So again, it lets us build out audiences, but it might be things about, you know, what industry they work in, what are their job role responsibilities, what kind of organization do they work in? And that gives us some really detailed insight into what their journey is um, in terms of, you know, that kind of sales process, what influences them, you know, how do they like to be contacted? I mean, it even gets really granular, like when they go on a website, what are they looking for? So it can give us a huge amount of detail about our different segments. So that's kind of one way that we would start to look at the audience. And then I kind of mentioned um, a bit uh, there about kind of talking to your customers. And I think, um, again, talking to them about what their experiences of this are. And you can kind of do this on a couple of different ways. Um, you know, surveys, if you're looking at kind of collecting more of that quantitative data. Um, so, you know, at MediaWorks, we do that with our um, clients. We go out and talk, you know, have a survey that we talk to them kind of regularly about their experience of, um, you know, working with us. And, you know, that can give us a huge amount of insight, which is really great. But I think also that qualitative end element as well about having talks with your customers as well. And that can be more on a kind of, I guess, casual basis where you're kind of, of, um, you know, and you might be having meetings with them or whatever, or talking to them on other places, or, you know, it might be running specific focus groups and kind of interviews with them if you're going through a kind of bit of planning work. Um, so I would say that's really, you know, really, really important, making sure that you're always talking to your customers and always kind of um, feeding that back in. And then I guess... And, um, I, and I think, and I think just, to, um, I'll just interrupt you, Becca, I think on the, on the B2C side where you've got things like Trustpilot running as well, so you've got a very large amount of data that um you know again things that that, that you know we do um you know pretty routinely is then you know do a whole scrape of a, a trust pilot um to do it for a particular time period build a word cloud from it and see the words that are popping out um you know is is there things there that are changing over time are there things that could inform your your kind of messaging strategies but also i think um feedback from sales people is is really really important um and to you know to have, have a good relationship with your sales team that they can feel like they're, they're going to be open and honest and come back and say yeah yeah that it's the price that's wrong or it's the product that's wrong or you know we, we're kind of getting up people's noses with our marketing or or, or, or what have you um that, that 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 whole that whole mix of um quantitative and qualitative like like back saying is um Again, for me, is absolutely vital to to this kind of strategy. Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. Sorry, could I just jump in on one mm. thing there? Because we had a really interesting session um a few weeks ago with a client where they did stakeholder interviews as mm. well and like questions and like because like you say, Paul, they're the ones who have very frequent touch point with the clients. It might be your delivery drivers. It might be your um like account managers or your sales um consultants like those are the people who have regular touch points so they can give you you know sometimes um marketing and sales or sort of that sort of customer relations can be quite disjointed but actually they hold so much value because they have the regular touch points too yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, and uh, like we kind of said, it can be on varying different levels. Like, I mean, we've got some, um, you know, some clients that we've gone and done full week immersions and, you know, gone out with them and gone out and actually worked with their salespeople to really understand what that process is and see it for ourselves. So I think, you know, there's, um, especially if you're in a company where, um, uh, maybe you're a bit disjointed from that actual sales process. I think that there's nothing like actually getting under the skin of it and going out and experiencing it for yourself as well to really see it. Um, so definitely, you know, getting as much face time as you can with those people that are really involved in it. And, 
Um, and I think as well on that kind of flip side of looking to that qualitative, um, again, that data side of it, looking at your, you know, your data that you get from your customers in terms of sales as well. So kind of looking at, um, you know, what are they buying? When are they buying? Are there any patterns to it? Is there any seasonality? Really using that to drive, um, you know, what you understand. And then I think really when it comes out, um, once you've kind of collected all of that insight, really understanding then your kind of different segments or your different an audience's customer journey and kind of mapping that um and you know it's never a linear process and it will be lots of different touch points and it will probably be quite cylindrical on different stages and you'll probably have people go around and then around again and around and then maybe around again and so but you know it's really important at those different touch points to understand you know where can we be talking to them um what the different channels they might be using what the different content they might be consuming what's going to be motivating them or all of those different um, stages and that can really help you kind of define um, you know kind of your channels thinking about your channels but then also what's your kind of messaging and I think what I will say as well is um, when you are thinking about your audience um, think about those people that as well aren't just making the decision but are influencing the decision um, so you know I think the amount of brands or you know clients that we work with that say right we just want to target C-suite they're the people that are going to make that decision that are going to sign that contract um, but actually if you look at that customer journey or that kind of map a lot of the time there will be huge other influences and a lot of the time it could be employees that are influencing them um, I think Google did some really interesting research, um, which kind of said that there was a huge amount. I think um, it was something like 25% of C-suite were, um, sorry, 22% of C-suite were heavily influenced by employees when they were making those decisions. So really thinking about, right, we've got those people that are the final, um, you know, decision makers, but actually who, who is kind of contributing to the buildup of that? Cool. So, um, so we've talked about the category. We've talked about and the the you know the importance of understanding the audience and the kind of tools, data, you know, different different ways you can go about that. So, I guess that, that in terms of then you know where where we go next with this, it's then thinking about the kind of ecosystem um, in which our lead gen activity is going to take place. So, um, I'm going to pass it over to Amy to talk us about talk us yeah. through that. Amy. So, um, in terms of managing your campaigns and stuff like that, in order to be success, successful on paid ads, your account structure is vital. So, um, when setting up your structure, there'll be multiple things that you'll have to look at. So, the first thing I would think of to be was be what channel you wanted to select, which channels are optimally going to get you to your end goal. So, in terms of lead generation, people tend to stem towards the search side of things because it's lower on the funnel. However, you have to start thinking about other aspects of how is your current brand awareness? Is it is it really good? Is it quite small? Because in terms of one client we had, we had spent as much as we could on brand um, a brand campaign on Google. But then in order to increase that brand awareness, we then had to look at aspects such as social, maybe display, performance max, just to get that in front of more people so that they would in turn then come back to search through a search campaign and then go on to convert. So um, in terms of that, crafting that multi-channel approach is the way to be successful, making sure that you're getting the people in at the top of the funnel and bringing them all the way down to the bottom. Another aspect that's really important in terms of um, finding those customers is where are your highest value customers located? So in terms of finding those customers and where they are, you've got to manage the scope of the keywords. So in terms of building your account structure, um, where is the search volume? Where can you get the best um, high value customer from? So for example, with one of my clients, we saw highest conversions um, and lowest CPA in London, Manchester. Therefore, when looking at what we would bid on, we were targeting broader terms in those areas so that people, while searching in Manchester and London, were looking for the uh, specific search term of workspace hire. So rather than putting workspace hire Manchester, we targeted the more broader, broader term of just workspace hire which meant that we could target the investment whilst not going too granular because that's something that can happen with search campaigns is that you, if you whittle yourself down too much, you, there isn't enough search volume there. And without the search volume and the data, the um, machine learning can't do its job and stuff like that. But then alongside that, in order to still be able to target those workspace higher Manchester, London and get those keywords, what you can do is then have a UK-wide campaign which would then target workspace higher um, and then a location 
at the end then that would mean that say I was looking for a workspace hire in London and I currently am located in Newcastle I'm still being shown the ads and you're still getting in front of the right people at the right time and then in terms of writing the ad copy you would then cater that ad copy towards whatever location you're targeting so say it was the UK you could be a bit more broader in the sense that anyone searching for it will be know where they're going to and then in terms of the more like location specific you can include include the location name just stuff like that just so, just to make sure that that ad is the most relevant for that person in that time yeah, um, let me just let me put in there Amy, as well um i think that yeah uh, you know whether you're talking b2b in that work, workspace hiring example or, or the b2b b2c stuff then you know i think i'm sure most of the attendees on the call will will kind of know about the importance of 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 location and um i think that again you know where possible to be able to join up the the sales data um that that is currently you know in any lead gen model it will be disconnected from the the google ad platform but you know to to go through any any process that we can do to to inform both the location and the value of sales that are coming back to help improve the bid strategy but also um i think something that we've been doing again with a client recently when you are kind of going b2c um, there's databases like the deprivation index that you can get for the whole of the UK that allows you to, you know, pretty much, you know, absolutely nail down affluent postcode areas versus non-affluent postcode areas. And depending on the product that you're selling, um, you might want to kind of put that in. So there are numerous data sets that can help improve with, um, you know, the, your kind of geo-targeting. But, um, yeah, the, the ability to join the whole thing up around location um, is great, not just necessarily where you're going to get your, your clicks from or even where your leads from, but where you're going to get your sales from as well. So carry on, Amy, sorry. To That's okay. Uh, yeah, definitely, as Paul mentioned, about the um, using that deprivation index and seeing where people are living, for example, you could then use that and plug that into Google Ads um, and use something called conversion value rules. So that allows you to um, use specific conditions. So, for example, it could be device, location, audience, and then you could upvote or uh, downvote in, in relation to whether or not they're higher value or lower value for you. So, for example, in the in, um, instance of one of our double uh, glazing um, clients, they wanted to bid up in the areas that had the height was less less deprived, so that they could then, in the logic of that, that house would be bigger, therefore more windows, which means that it's going to be a larger value um, purchase in the end. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then in terms of um, one extra thing would be the audience. As before, Rebecca mentioned about the audience. So knowing what who your audience is and then choosing the right audience segment and demographic can ensure that you're, you're showing your ads to the right person at the right time. So typically people will think about audience target in terms of performance max, the awareness side of things. But one thing you can layer on top of with search campaigns is that it is very bottom of the funnel, but you can then start to make it a bit more granular by targeting users who are in the audience demographic that you've already realized. So for example, um, what age are they? Where do they come from? Stuff like that. And you can start layer that on top of the keywords so that you're not just targeting anyone searching for that. You're targeting people that are in your key demographic so that you're staying in there. As well as that, you can then use that for your advantage as well by um, using exclusions. So, for example, say your target audience was 35 to 55 and you didn't want to show any younger than that, then you could start to exclude those younger ages so that you would never show up for them. And then there'll be minimal wasted spend and stuff like that. It's really quite interesting, like, because obviously, Amy, from a paid perspective, you've talked about a lot of the different tips there. And it's kind of, it feels kind of obvious why I guess be like lead gen lead towards paid because there's so much targeting that you can do yeah. there. But I suppose really, we also know that there's a place for organic search in this funnel as well in lead gen. And it isn't something that necessarily should just be ignored because I think there's like, learnings that organic search can take from paid as well like especially around the sort of search terms that people are, are are kind of typing in and ultimately what goes on to convert and I definitely think that organic can learn and the data yeah. can be shared across the channels too and then also like you've got different strains of organic search as well so you've got it like kind of as we traditionally know it which is national but also you can do quite locational based insight as well with your Google My Businesses and 
you know, like um, SEO, local SEO partners, which will really kind of drill down on creating that content. Like you say, like it could be, um, uh, I think you said work higher, um, Manchester, and you could have dedicated landing pages to those, which creates a whole host of content that is um, like longer tail, a bit more informational, a bit more like help that consideration that doesn't necessarily have to ultimately initially drive conversion. So I do think you've got, there's there's room for both in it. And I think also sometimes you can actually have your channels doing slightly different strategies as well. Like sometimes you hear people talk about cannibalization because if you're deploying the exact same strategy on both channels, you're ultimately competing for the same sort of real estate. Um, so you could actually have them deployed to do slightly different strategies too, which covers a wide basis. It covers some of the informational more consideration type searches it can cover the harder cells it really gives you that breadth and depth of kind of trying to own that market or that category or that audience or whatever it might be so I do think it's quite interesting around um, how you could try to utilize both and ultimately the aim really of deploying uh, Amy you talked before about like multi-channel strategies the whole point of deploying this is just effectiveness effectiveness and coverage so I think it's great to to kind of and and like you touched on some that people wouldn't necessarily like performance max lead gen might not necessarily instantly think there so it is kind of good to showcase the opportunity that's around I suppose for me when you think about your ecosystem thereafter though it's you we've talked about the channels to get them there but your website is a key point and what happens afterwards so you know it's how tailored do you make the content based on what the user is searching for how easy or difficult do we make it um for the user to convert thereafter afterwards it's great to send all the traffic but ultimately the thing that we care about from the website is the amount of leads so it's how can you really use those um how can you use your website most effectively to help drive the leads in the ecosystem at the right time i think We've seen it before um, where clients make like paid, paid friendly um, landing pages and we send paid traffic directly to there. And it's sometimes can be quite a hard sell. It's almost like you're right at the end. Okay, now this is the bit where you need to fill out your form and give up and like get that lead information through. But it's definitely a mix of sort of quantity and quality in terms of your landing pages um, because really there's no point in having to maintain you know, 100 locational pages if none of them are working very well. Um, so it's, it's how you really push that forward. We've been doing quite an interesting A-B test recently with a, a client um, and they are B2B and that whole point of it is trying to get more leads. Well, actually, it's trying to get more customers, but the way you have to do that is become a lead first and they're testing a long form versus a short form. And the idea is trying to evaluate with their first party data, the quality of, of customer that we're getting through and whether if by collecting all of that data up front about a business, that helps us quantify whether we they're more relevant to us and can go live onto the platform. The short form is very quick to fill out, but then hasn't done any of the basic checks to say, are they a good customer? Are they going to be able to, are we going to be able to work with them? And it's really quite interesting because so far the results are saying 50-50. It's kind of saying, you know, you can get a customer on your short form and on a long form. Whereas it initially, I think sometimes businesses try to use the lead gen form on the website to almost qualify in or out. Um, and it's kind of proven that you don't necessarily need to do that. So I think like from my perspective, like your strategies you can deploy lots of different channels. They don't necessarily all have to be competing for the exact same thing. They all have a different place in the funnel. But once you've decided on your channels, you really need to make sure that your website is working hard for you. And some of that is through like testing and just iterations and improvements. Um, but also, you know, is it maybe sometimes you don't need one page to work for five different channels. Maybe you need page specifics to help each channel as it is. So I think once you've got your traffic and you've got your plan of how you're getting traffic, you really have to start looking at your website as part of your ecosystem to make sure it can and do and service what you needed to do it um, for the activity.
Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, the world, the whole world of landing pages and um, CRO within that is, um, yeah, is obviously vitally important for for lead gen activity. Um, <clears throat> I think um, you know, there's a lot of. I, I think I think the difficulty with. We, you know, we were having a chat um, about this, you know, can you have too many landing pages? Um, you know, but maybe you can. Um, but certainly there are so many different factors from um, looking at your um, ad quality score when you're on the paid side. So, you know, if you if you have a, um, a landing page that doesn't talk to the search term that you're, you're buying into, you will get penalised by Google. You'll be spending more for your traffic and therefore, you know, your, your effectiveness, of, your cost effectiveness of your advertising will go down. Um, you know, I think trialling um, location-specific pages, we've seen a great deal of success with um, a, a client I'm working on at the moment um, by adding in more location-specific pages. Um, I think then... Like Rachel said, long form versus short form. Um, should you embed your? Should you have videos embedded? Should you give a rich experience within a form? Should you give a very minimal experience within within the form? Um, you know, and a lot of that you can discern from then running things like Hotjar or you know, I've been messing around with Microsoft Clarity recently. Just look at all the user journeys and look at how people are behaving as they go into your pages. And if you've made your pages unclickable, and then you see loads of people trying to click everything. Well, guess what you need to do. So um, you know, the, and, and and I think um, I think it's being open minded to that and make sure you've got a workflow that means that you can uh, test and learn quickly on landing pages and not let it be hampered by dev time. You know that you, that you can really rapidly react to things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Paul, on, like Becca had touched on user journeys, I think a lot of the time, again, we have assumptions on user journeys. And then what, like, because we know the business, we think it's obvious what the user should do next and how we want them to go through the website and navigate. And you'll know from watching some of those um, in user interactions, what you think is straightforward or you just assume a user will do, you know, it can be very, very different. So yeah. it is it is so important, like, to test your assumptions as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So there you go. That's all sorted. Then we all know what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Easy peasy. Right, but but there's a, an, another bit that we haven't talked about yet. So back over to you, uh, Becca. Yes, I think um, you know we've talked a lot about the kind of um, different tactics you can use um, when you're thinking purely about lead gen and kind of some of the channels and how you can kind of get to understanding those channels and audience. But I think probably the bit that a lot of people. Um, really don't talk about with lead gen which is quite funny is um you know the um the part that brand has to play in it and i think you know traditionally marketing has very much tried to segregate those two things you've got one which is brand building that is all about creating those um you know those memory structures and about being able to recall and it's kind of over here and that's very emotional and we should do that and tug on heartstrings or make people laugh and you've got over here your lead gen which is always um you know about just getting very functional getting those people in it's very kind of cost um, acquisition driven um very performance based um, and I think traditionally yeah, marketing has really tried to pull those two things apart uh, to the point where you tend to have even when you go to different companies you'll have some you know you've got brand team and then you'll have people that will look after the performance side of it um, but I think what you know we really try and do is think about how you can make those things work for each other and how can you make them work and um, benefit each other and I think what's um, really interesting even when you're thinking about you know B2B and traditionally brand hasn't been massive in B2B, it's tend to focus very much more on that kind of lead gen aspect and, um, you know, that kind of lower funnel. But actually, um, you know, there was a really interesting, I think, was it Erin Bass that kind of um, did a, some research? I think it was probably about six months, nine months ago, um, which was looking at B2B. And actually, um, for companies that change, you know, services such as financial services, legal advice, software or telecoms, they only do that. They tend to do that every once every five years. Is, um, which means that actually only 20% are in market for those services in a given year and 5% in a given quarter. So actually, for most of the time, 95% of your audience are not in market. And I think that's what's really important to think about that you know, there's this whole other bit. Yes, you've got your lead gen that is going after those people that are in market at that precise moment, but really thinking about how do you start to 
um, invest in those audiences and build those leads for when they do drop into market, how are you going to make that even more beneficial? And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about around excess share of voice that, yes, um, you know, you want to be keeping up with competitor spend, but really what's going to drive excess share of voice is if you're spending the same is your kind of marketing and the comms you're doing. And that's really where brand can come in, that you can start thinking and building that brand that when, you know, they do fall into market and they see a search ad and they go, oh, I already know that brand. I'm going to click on it. We get a better class for that. They go through, they're more likely to buy because they know the brand, they trust the brand already. We're not going to have to have to do that hard work with CRO and on the website. Um, and it's going to become a much more frictionless um, sales journey. So um, I think it's also, really... Oh, sorry, go on. Just coming in on that. Um, in terms of, um, obviously you mentioned there about paid and stuff like that, mm. is that... Um, when it comes to brand searches, they are the cheapest in terms of paid. Like they are right at the bottom of the funnel. And by pushing that upper funnel, it might seem like an investment at the start. But by getting in front of all those people, then you can then have them at the top of mind so that when they actually think, oh, I need this thing after after that five years has passed, they've got you top, top of mind. So then they'll search it and then it doesn't have, you don't have to push the long longevity of SEO. You can just put a paid ad right at the top of the screen. So when they show up, they'll click on it and then uh, the cost per click will be lower, the click-through rate will be higher and then the conversion rate will come. Yeah, exactly. So it's really thinking about the, um, you know, think about building brand as generating leads for the future and almost your lead gen at the moment is about kind of cashing in on those leads. So really think about planning them together. Um, And I think, you know, I think when we talk about... um, I think B2B is in a really interesting place at the the moment with kind of um, different marketing theories. And, you know, generally um, across different marketing theories will kind of come out from or, you know, a lot of what we do will be looking at things like um, how brands grow from Byron Sharp, but actually a lot of Burnett and Field who will be looking at um, a lot of the kind of IPA studies and how you build brand, but then also take advantage of brand. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I always think is really interesting is that, Um, You know, there's been a lot of research that's done that actually says um, brand building activity tends to generate some leads, but also that brand building, um, that brand building element. Whereas when you're running lead gen activity, you're only generating leads, you're not generating any kind of brand impact. So actually, if you're looking at those two things together, sometimes it could be much more beneficial from a cost point of view to be running brand activity that generates some leads rather than maybe than just pure um, lead gen. But, you know, that can absolutely depend on, you know, what your targets are, um, you know, what kind of budget you've got, where you are in the marketplace. Um, and then I think as well, um, you know, looking at what is that optimum mix of, you know, brand versus, you know, some people call it activation and some people in businesses, you might call it um um, you know, generating a response or action or lead gen. Um, and I think when we look at B2B, you know, what Burnett and Field have found, it, what's really interesting is, you know, investing um, 46% of your budget into brand and 54% into a kind of activation or that lead gen activity. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of B2B businesses will be coming from a place where they will have only focused on that kind of um, generating leads and will have not been putting anything into that brand building. So you can actually see it's not massively far away what, what gets recommended for you know FMCG. FMCG is 60% brand versus um, 40% activation. So actually, you know, I think it's a time now where B2B brands really have to be thinking about brand. So, um, you know, what are the kind of things that ladder up into really effective um, B2B marketing. And I think firstly, um, you know, we often think about B2B marketing as very kind of rational and very functional. And, um, you know, we are applying to people that are making a business decision. Therefore, it should be a very kind of um, business, very kind of clean, sometimes even a bit sterile. But actually, you know, ultimately, we are talking to people and they do not react to advertising any differently than they do to B2C. So actually, there is a lot of value in really thinking about marketing that has an emotional impact um, in B2B, as well as that kind of, you know, what you traditionally might do to B2C. Um, And we're also seeing a much bigger focus um, of creativity in B2B marketing as well. Like I said, I think, you know, traditionally tends to be called the boring marketing B2B. um, But actually, there's a lot more we can do with it. And I think, you know, LinkedIn did some really interesting things that kind of said, um, 
you know, there were some stats around 82% of B2B marketing leaders globally said that um, their creative confidence is growing. Um, 81% believe B2B brands are producing creative campaigns that rival consumer brands. And if you think about consumer brands, we're talking about, you know, some of the most creative advertising out there. So, um, you know, really interesting. And I think there's also been some, you know, really interesting um, examples of really fantastic B2B marketing that I kind of wanted to talk through. Uh, my favorite one that I always look at whenever I think about B2B is The Economist. I think they do fantastic marketing. Um, if you Google um, The Economist advertising, they do um, brilliant out of home in particular, but you know they play on very much that um, The Economist is um, that magazine if you're a high-powered kind of business person, and they really play into that. Um, they've also done some really interesting stuff as well. They um, did an out-of-home campaign, which was... Um, tube advertising which actually looked at some of the kind of most controversial topics um, in the economy at the moment so it was things like Brexit and fracking and things like that and actually created mini articles that were then put on you know your tube um, your tube station sides and you know the insight being that that you know that is a point where people are dwelling and um, you know they might have a few minutes to be reading something so you know I think they're a really great example of firstly um, a brand that has got their um, kind of emotional messaging nailed down, but then also a brand that is really thinking tactically about how do you use the context and how do you use different kind of placements to do something interesting. Um, so I love them there. And also I will say they are very good at their kind of um, reinforcing their brand in terms of, you know, uh, the different devices they've got, the colours, the fonts, you know, you can tell an advert from them. Um, and then another one that I really like as well um, that do a really, load of really good stuff is Hiscox um, kind of insurance. They do some really great advertising. But what I like about them as well is they go quite broad with their um you know, they're not a brand that we will all be buying. Um, you know, it's not a brand that we come across every day, but they will still be looking at things like out-of-home placements, which are in um, huge locations that will get massive, massive footfall, um, you know, generally from consumers. And I think, you know, their strategy is really about fame, that, you know, every if everyone knows who they are, they are that kind of trusted um, company and that they, you know, that they will win off the back of that, even in a more B2B market. Um, and then final one that I thought was really, really interesting, um, which was, um, I think it was a winner at Can Lion. It was Spotify. And we all know Spotify do really great marketing with their, um, you know, using all of their data, which is really interesting. But this is the first time that I've ever seen them do something for a B2B audience. Um, so they worked with um, FCB New York and actually looked at loads of different Spotify data that crawled the listening habits of the top um, chief marketing officers across the world and then created personalized playlists for them. Um, and, you know, I thought, again, that's a really nice way of doing that. It's, you know, taking something that they do from a kind of very much um, customer point of view and applying that more to their B2B. And it's interesting and it's creative and it's fun and it's got that emotive element because of the music and it's very personalized. It's not just, you know, dropping a leaflet or a DM on someone's, you know, desk and hoping that they read it. It's, you know, really thinking and talking to audiences in different ways. So I definitely would say, you know, from a brand point of view, yes, you should be investing in brand, thinking about it together. Um, but then, like I said, really thinking about the creative and the messaging, you know, be playful, be interesting, go for a can lion, you know, really, um, you know, up the ante on what we're doing from a B2B point of view. Great. Okay. So um, I'm a bit, bit conscious of time. So we've just got one last little bit that we need to talk about it. So go fast, um, which is just to kind of wrap up really about how we bring all of this together. Um, so back to you very briefly, Becca, and then on to Rach. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think what 
I wanted to touch on first was, you know, how often should you be planning and thinking about your ecosystems and thinking about your messaging and thinking about your budgets? Because there are so many schools of thoughts that you do it on a really long term five year basis or you do it on a sprint basis or, you know, you're doing it on a three month basis. And I think for me, it's not always necessarily about the frequency. It's more about what are you looking at at those points in time? So I would generally say that, you know, and um, first off, you really want to be thinking long term planning. Um you know, thinking on a three to five year basis um, about the business and its growth. Um, And, you know, that's not about tactics. That's purely from a kind of strategic point of view around the business. Um, And then your kind of second stream would be annual planning, which might look at brand activation, brand, sorry, and kind of activation tactics. And that would be, right, we are using that kind of long term we're planning, we're laddering that down into, right, what we're going to do that's going to fulfill that on an annual basis. And then I think um, the third kind of stream is where you're looking very tactically and you're thinking about your kind of performance. Um, And this is a kind of tricky one um, because it kind of depends on the channel about how often you might review that. So, for example, I mean, Amy might give me here and correct me, but I'd say something like PPC, you know, you could be doing that on a weekly basis. I'm sure there's even some companies that might be doing it on a daily basis because if you've got a huge investment and it's a major channel, because you are getting so much insight and things do change. However, if you're looking at something like offline, like out of home, it's very difficult to measure that on a really, really, really frequently basis. It's more that you would do that on a kind of quarterly basis. So for me, it's more about splitting it into three streams. One, which is your really long-term business planning. Two, which is your kind of annual planning, thinking about your brand and activation tactics. And then third, your kind of performance measurement. But like I said, I think that might have to be led by your channel, but looking at that definitely on a much more frequent basis. Um, Before Rachel comes in here, just on the the point of the PPC so in terms of the the paid search display aspect of it yeah you do are getting quite a lot of data in at once but one thing I will say is that with Google we have this awful thing called learning where if you make too much changes the whole account will go back into learning and you unfortunately will probably just see a dip in performance which you really want to avoid so in terms of um activity you can either do something along the lines of always on so you set it live and then it goes running for nine 12 months as long as you would like or you can do more tactical but one thing I will say about tactical is that just because it's tactical doesn't mean it has to be really short with learning you can encounter learning periods from Google with two or four weeks so I would never say to have anything tactical less than I say six to eight weeks just so that Google really can use that machine learning and so you can actually get the the bang for your buck really and then it's really no surprise that I'm going to be talking about reporting and what we're going to measure but I think we've touched on the fact that there's so many different data sources around across the whole breadth of this sort of project and it's really trying to determine what is the most important thing and I think that's quite a a hard skill because there is so much so what do you focus your efforts on and when um And I guess there's a reason why there's not one single data source that covers all of this for you, especially when we're talking about the gen. We're talking about the idea of understanding stuff about the audience and the market. We're talking about then your channel performance. We're also then talking about your first party data and how that maps back to customers and things like that. There isn't one single tool that will help you do this all. So it's figuring out what you need to do and at which stage. I think Things that are important to keep an eye on um, our market size. We've talked about it a lot throughout, but really you need to understand what the potential opportunity is. You need to understand if anything's happened in the um, sort of in the landscape of it for that to be changing um, rapidly or if there's any certain like sharp movements in it. But also it will allow you to go into some really in-depth analysis later down the line about like, your market penetration versus competitors and things like that. So it is a really valuable sort of metric to have on your radar at a regular basis. I think also, like then Becca kind of talked about that performance measuring. And once you've deployed your relevant tactics, you really need to be keeping an an eye on that activity and understanding it. And really, um, any form of end-to-end attribution that you can get to Yes, whether that's automated, whether that is manual, whether that's assumed or whether that's just taking best sort of guesses at it, you really need to work towards that because that helps you understand which channels are working for you 
um, how they play a part in this. And also, it gives you more room to make better marketing decisions around budget and things like that. So you really want to strive towards end-to-end attribution for your sales that are coming through. So obviously, then you've got things like the volume of traffic, the number of leads, the amount of sales and customers that turns into and ultimately the revenue that's attached with those. Those are really your key pillars. You've got your conversion rates that fall in between that as well. And then ultimately, it's regularly about how you turn the dial on any one of those. Um, You know, which is it? Is it your um, lead to sale conversion rate? Like, do you already have a really strong lead to sale conversion rate? And so therefore, if you want to increase your bottom line, you just need more traffic through to the website. Or is it that actually there's issues with conversion rates and you need to figure out what touch points you need to do to help that along or how you need to tweak your website or however it is to turn those into sales. So you've got some key metrics that you'll be looking at for your measurement. And then really it is those incremental tweaks to try and get them to work harder for your for your budget ultimately. And then also just remembering to step back on this. So Becca talked about the increments of stepping back and looking at it and reflecting because if things have changed, your your sort of approach might need to change as well. And it could be that it's different tactics or, or messaging. Um, it could be changes in the economy means that your audience needs something different from you. So I think just regularly make sure that you've got that time to step back and reflect on what's going on. And ultimately, using some key metrics to understand about um, the relationship that you have. So whether that's customer satisfaction, whether that is reviews on Trustpilot, like Paul said, like, how how is everyone feeling? What's your perception and how do you move forward from that? Um, and how do you pivot based on what is going on in the in the environment? Great. Thank you, Rach. Um, right. Well, um, thanks very much, everybody, for coming along today. Um, I think, you know, you know, all, all I know is um, kind of when we are doing our most successful work in this area, you know, it is about a coming together of brand marketing. It's about understanding who you're up against. It's about having on-point performance marketing going into highly crafted landing pages and analyzing the detail of, of why of why but you know where people are dropping out and what they're engaging with um, it is about letting that influence your organic strategies as well and it is about going through not just stopping at your marketing but going through into your sales teams and listening to customers and listening to uh, the conversations that are happening and and you know we we know that we've seen pretty spectacular um, results from when you when you bring all that together so um yeah and um you know the 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 big lead gen client that i work on i get a text message every evening telling me exactly how many leads have come through from exactly how what channel exactly how many have converted into sales um because you know m- most businesses you know a, a lead loss yesterday you're not going to get it back tomorrow you know it, it's very important that that you keep things going so um yeah it's kind of one you know for those of the attendees working in this area it is one of the most fun bits of marketing because you get to do the whole piece um but also you know as an agency we, we enjoy it as well because you can bring all our different skills to bear and get some really good results so um Hit us up if you want any advice um, on your lead gen um, strategy or activity. Um, Thank you very much for um, the contributions from uh, Becca, Amy and Rachel today. You've been brilliant. And um, tune in again soon to the next MediaWorks Masterclass. So thank you all very much and have a good day. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.